beautiful morning, church. So good to see all of you. Uh, thanks for joining us over in City Campus as well as online, joining us uh, in our worship service. How many of us have enjoyed the last couple of weeks learning and growing with all our speakers about the Faith at Work and Faith at Home series? Yay? Amen. So many hands all around the place. Now, today, we want to talk about Faith at Home, part two. Now, if I can uh, quickly draw up a quick introduction. In the first week of our Faith at Home series, which was last week, Pastor Benny taught us how to grow spiritually mature as we grow physically mature. Today, in part two of our Faith at Home series, we're going to explore an entirely different dimension of what it means for us to live our faith at home. And if I can just put simply for us, if last Sunday was about our household, today is about our habits. If last Sunday was about the people at home, today is about the practices that we do at home. If last week was about the relationships at home, today is about the routines that we do at home. So today in this sermon, if you're taking notes, we're doing two questions, two simple questions. Why should we live our faith at home? Why? And then the second question is, how do we live our faith at home? So let's start with the first question. Why should we live out our faith at home? Why do we even talk about it in church in the very first place? Let me start with a story. In one of the churches where I used to pastor at, there was this young man in his 20s. Now, he came to know the Lord through the church. And within a few weeks, he, he was really passionate. He grew this deep love for Jesus. And a few weeks after, he rose his hand up and said, Pastor, I want to be baptized. I want to give my life to Jesus and to follow him. As a public declaration, I want to do baptism. And so within a few weeks, I baptized him. And then shortly after, I realized some things in his life began to change. So he used to come for one service on Sunday. And after he got baptized, he became more passionate about God. He, did, he grew in his love for God. So he started coming for two services on Sunday. And then three services on Sunday. So basically, he would be in church on Sunday from the morning all the way to the evening. And then it didn't stop there. He started telling people about Jesus in his workplace. He started telling people about God in his family, in his home. He has a little toddler and he has a wife. And then more things began to change. He started coming to church on Saturdays for the classes. And then he started coming to church on the weekday nights for small group meetings. And then in the middle of the day, during the office hours, sometimes he would show up in church and he would say, I'm here and how can I help? And so I became very interested in this young man. And I went up to him and I say, hey, young man, what makes you want to come to church all this time? Like, I noticed you've been coming to church a lot. And then he said this, he answered this. He said, Pastor, it's because I love God and I want to grow in my faith and I want to experience God. That's why I come to church all the time. And while I'm super happy for this young man to be so passionate and to always be found in the house of God, which is the church, I became a little bit cautious and I became a little bit concerned. Because what he's telling me is, Pastor, I'm coming to church all the time because I want to grow my faith in the church. God can be found in the church, and this is where I grow my faith. What he's telling me is, I, I don't see God in my home. 
I don't see God in my office. I can't grow my faith in those places. I'm here to grow my faith in the church. And while I celebrate all our young people being so passionate, coming to church all the time, on Friday nights for Kinetic, for Friday night for Impact, on Thursday nights for Converge, for our tertiary students, and a lot of our young people coming to church even during the Saturdays and Mondays to Fridays, I'm a little bit concerned if we were to hear our young people say, I love to come to church because this is where I experience God. This is where I grow my faith. Because God is a God of Mondays to Saturdays as well. God is a God who lives in our homes and our offices as much as He lives in church. So why talk about faith at home? Because it's important for us to understand what it means for us to have faith at home. And today I want to quickly introduce us to three different reasons why we should live out our faith at home. And the first one is this. Living out our faith at home embraces God's lordship. One of the reasons why we want to explore this series, Faith at Work and Faith at Home, is because for far too long in this culture that we live in, we have been told that God belongs in the church. So when we build a church, you build a car park lot, you build a nice fence and a little gate around it where the cars go in and out, people come in and out, just like how you came to FCC. Or for those of us in city campus, you took the elevator. What that tells us is that there is a nice little fence. It's almost like the rest of society is telling us, this is where your God lives and you don't bring God out of those fences. You don't bring God into the workplace. You're not allowed to pray. You're not allowed to preach the gospel. You don't tell me about Jesus because your God belongs in the church. You don't tell me about God in the schools. You don't pray in schools. You're not allowed to worship in schools because your God belongs in the church. And for far too long, Christians, as us as Christians, we kind of believe in that. And we begin to say things like, I like to come to church because that's where I grow my faith. That's where I experience God. But that's not what the Bible says. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, it says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And He does not live in temples built by human hands. So God is not confined to religious buildings. Amen. God is not confined to temples. He's not confined to church buildings. He's not confined to chapels. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, says the Bible. And that's the Bible's way of saying He's Lord of everything, everywhere. And if that's true, then that must include our offices. If that's true, then that must include our homes. Amen. So when we live out our faith at home, we are saying, I agree with the Bible. We're embracing what the Bible says about God's lordship. And we're declaring with the Bible, God is the Lord of my home. And no one touches us without God's permission. That's what we're doing when we are living out our faith at home. The first reason why we do so is because it embraces God's lordship. And the second reason is this, it establishes our discipleship. Now research has shown that we forget 95% of what we hear in 72 hours, which is three days. Which means to say, no matter how good Pastor Benny's teaching is and preaching is on Sunday, by Wednesday, you will forget the most of it. How many of us know that that's true? No, no, don't raise your hands. He's not here, so it's okay for me to say that. But if our discipleship happens mainly on Sundays, 
or even some days of the week, like Friday for Kinetic, Thursday for Converge, Friday for Impact, and your cell groups, your connect groups, then we have severely misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says this to his, to his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and carry their cross daily, 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 and follow me. And the award-winning American author, Annie Dillard, she wrote this famously, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And even though Annie is not a Christian, she's actually onto something. Because the Christian life is not lived in years. It's not lived in months. It's not even lived in weeks, even though we come to church every Sunday, every week. It's lived in days, says Jesus. Daily, says Jesus. The Christian life of discipleship is made up of daily discipleship decisions and daily disciplines. And because we all spend so much time at home, seven days a week at home, the home is a place where we can grow our faith and live out our faith. So learning how to live out our faith at home deepens and establishes our discipleship. Imagine if you were to grow in your faith to become more like Jesus, not one day a week, not even two days a week, plus your connect groups, but seven days a week. How much more would you look like Jesus? How much more joy would you have? How much more power and peace and presence of the Spirit? How much more victories and miracles will we experience if we were to live out our faith every day because we live it out from home. So the second reason why we want to live out our faith is that it establishes our discipleship. And the third reason is this, it expands our worship. I love it when people come to, to church and say, I love to come to FCC because I enjoy the worship. I love to worship God. But what a lot of times when I hear that, what people mean is I really enjoy the 27, of min 27 minutes of worship that I have every Sunday, singing God's songs, singing worship songs. But our worship is not limited to that 27 minutes once a week during Sunday service. The Bible says that everything we do can be worship to God. And the Apostle Paul is writing here in the text that we're going to read about worship. We get a first glance at what worship looked like during their time, the first church 2,000 years ago. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, it says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, hymns like Amazing Grace, 1,500 years later, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. He's talking about this is what you do in worship. Continue to do so during your worship service. And then he continues with the next line. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus. What Paul is saying here is whatever you do, you can also do as worship to Jesus. If Paul was alive today, he might say, who, who says you need YouTube to worship? 
who says you need to have a premium account on Spotify to choose your favorite worship song so you can worship? Who says you need Pastor Dave and Lester up here to lead worship so that you can worship? Whatever you do can be worship. When whatever we do is done for Jesus, our worship expands from Sunday singing to infinite possibilities. The everything, everyday thing that you do at home, even the, the, the routine, the mundane, the seemingly unsexy stuff that you do at home can become worship. When you finish your homework, you do it as worship. When you are washing the dishes and hanging the laundry, you do it in the name of Jesus, you do it as a worship. When you're changing poopy diapers for your baby, you do it as a worship. And then the joy and the peace of God that we get to experience here in the auditorium at the city campus and online can become our everyday and every moment experience. Amen. And our life, our entire life becomes a center of worship where God becomes the center of worship in our entire life. And that's the beauty of learning to worship God and learning to have, live out our faith at home. It expands our worship. That's the third reason. So now that we quickly understood why faith at home, let's not stop there. Let's get a little bit more practical and understand how do we live out our faith at home. So we're going to look at some of these whatever you do's according to the word of Paul, whatever you do, we're going to look at some of them and we're going to pick out three daily routines. Now, in the interest of time, I can only do three, but you can think of a lot more. Three daily routines that we all do already at home and explore what the Bible has to say about it. And once we're able to see these daily routines that we do in the light of God's word, we will deepen those practices with spiritual significance. And when we live them out, when we do them, we grow our faith at home. And to help us remember what we learned today, our amazing FCC media team has created three pieces of sermon art that you can access on FCC.live. So please take out your phones, go to FCC.live, and then go into the sermon notes. At the bottom of the sermon notes, you will be able to access special limited edition sermon art from today. And I'll show you what I did with them. So I downloaded them and I printed them out and bought some very simple frames where I printed them and put them into those frames. And these are gonna be in my home from tonight onwards to remind me of what I have learned today. And you can do the same. It doesn't cost you much. You can put this up, it's beautiful. And then every time when you live your faith at home, you remember those three things you've learned today and continue to deepen your discipleship with Jesus. So how can we live out our faith at home? Three simple things that we do every day. And let's start with the morning. In the morning before you came to church today, or maybe if you're watching this online, you haven't done this. But in the morning before you come to church, when you wake up first thing in the morning, what do you do? Where do you go? Now, if you are a clean, hygienic, sanitized being, you would normally go to the bathroom where you will wash your face. You do your wash up, you brush your teeth, you clean yourself. And you do this every day before you go and do your stuff. Now, what does the Bible tell us about washing up? 
what might the Bible have to say about us cleansing ourselves? In Psalm 51, verse 1 to 2, the psalmist says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now here's the backstory of Psalm 51. If you read the title of Psalm 51, it says, The Psalm of David, when he, had, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he repented through this psalm. The story is actually found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 to 12. So what David did was he lived on a palace, and one day he decided he wanted to stay at home. And one day he decided to look out of his window. And when he looked out of the window, he saw many different houses of his subjects, all living at the bottom of the mountain, of the hill. And Jewish days in those days, they were built to have a flat roof, and sometimes people go on top of the flat roof to bathe. And this lady happened to be bathing one day in, on her rooftop. And David looked and he saw her and he thought, man, she's beautiful. And so he saw her naked and he wanted to, to have her, to hook up with her, to, to have a one-night stand with her. And then he asked her into the palace. This lady is called Bathsheba and she is married already. Bathsheba was having a bath. And David saw her and he said, Sheba. This is beautiful. And so he asked her into the palace and then he had sex with her and then he sent her back home. One time he thought it was nothing, you know, it was, it was just a one-time moment experience. But what happened was soon after he got a message that says, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And so after he committed the adultery, he realized he messed up. He wants to have this massive cover-up. So what he did was he tried to get her husband to, who was fighting at the front lines of the war, to come back home. Hey, hey, take a rest. Take a rest and relax, R&R. &R, and come back home. And then he was hoping that his, her husband would have sex with her. And then the baby, when it comes out, he would think it's his. But he was a righteous man. He said, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to come back home. When my, all my soldiers, all my mates are out there fighting, I'm going to stay there with them. So plan A didn't work. So David went to plan B. And he said, okay, if that's the case, why don't I get him killed in battle? And then I'll take this woman as my own wife so that when the baby comes out, no one will suspect. They will think that we, we had the baby when we were married. And so he did so. This massive cover-up got him killed. And then married Bathsheba and then the baby came out. And then one day, a prophet Nathan came to David and said, God knows what you did. God knows your sin. You have messed up, David. And David owned up to his sins. And this particular psalm is attributed to that moment when David repented before God. And when we read this psalm, when we pray this prayer, the idea is not to say, I'm, a, I'm an adulterer like King David. I'm a massive conspiracy cover-upper like King David. Or I'm a murderer like King David. Most of us are not in those categories. So the idea is not to say, I'm like King David. But what the psalm tells us and what the story points us to is the fact that we already know this, that every one of us, even the best of us, fail sometimes. Because King David is the only person in the Bible who God says, he's a man after my own heart, which means to say his heart is tethered to God's heart. 
When he was young, God appointed him to be king. And he became the greatest king in the whole history of Israel, even to this day. And King David became the great, 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 great grandfather of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great man. But even the best of us fail sometimes. And Romans 3.23 in the New Testament says this, For all, all of us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are good enough. None of us has what it takes to come back to God, to, to be of God's standard. That's what the Psalm says, and that's what Romans tells us. So what does Psalm 51 tell us about God? I want to suggest that today it tells us that God cleanses us from this sin. So if you look in Psalm, what the psalmist does, psalmist is basically the guy who wrote the Psalm. What the psalmist does is he uses three words to describe his sin. My transgression, my iniquity, my sin. In the Hebrew, these are all different words. And these three words are the most commonly used words to describe sin. So what the psalmist seems to be doing here is, my sin is complete. My sin is total. What I've done is so bad that if you use any kind of word to describe sins, that's me. He used three words to describe the totality of his sins. And then what he does is he's, he uses three words to describe God. You have, you're a God who has mercy. You're a God who has unfailing love. You're a God who has compassion. Three words to describe God, three words to describe his sin. And then he brings them together in this beautiful psalm. And guess what happens when God meets our sin? It's not that God gets dirty. It's not that God gets unholy. It's not that God becomes any less pure. It's that we become more pure. We are made whole. We are washed. We are cleansed when God meets our sin. And that's what the psalmist says here. And what the psalmist seems to be telling us here, that the answer to our sins is not to do more. I'm going to give some sacrifice. He actually says in Psalms 51 later on, I'm not going to sacrifice because my sacrifice doesn't mean anything to you, God. It's not to do more. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to come to church on Sundays. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to read the Word of God. I'm going to be a leader, a better leader. I'm going to come for church. I'm going to come for connect group. The answer to our sin to make us better is not to do more. It's also not to give more. I give more money. I give more offerings. Some of the re other religions do this, right? Isn't it true? I give more money. I, I give more donations. I put more money into the bag. And then I feel better about myself. And neither is it to be more. I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better mother. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better wife. The answer to our sins is not to do more, to give more, or to be more. The answer to our sin is God himself. God himself is the answer to our sins. And Romans 3, 24, which continues after 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he goes on to say this. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, the totality of God met the totality of our sins. And that makes us clean once and for all. 
Because of Jesus, we have been forgiven, not because we are clean, but because he is clean and he makes us clean. We are forgiven because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because of our own goodness, but because of his goodness. It's not because of what we do, but because of what he has done. So how can this Psalm 51 remind us of what God has done for us? It reminds us that God cleanses us from our sins. So what's that got to do with our morning routine when we wash up and brush our teeth? I want to suggest that our practice, our morning routine of washing up reminds us to confess our sins. And let me tease it out, what I mean by that. When I was young, I used to confess my sins all the time. When I did something wrong, I would say, God, please forgive me of what I did. I'm sorry. Before I sleep, I would pray before God on my bed and I'll say, God, I did this, this, this. Now please forgive me of my sins and I go to sleep. When I go in the morning to somewhere, I will remember what I did in the morning. I say, God, please forgive me of all those things. Now I ask God to forgive me. I confess my sins not because I'm a holy person. It's not because I feared God, but it's because I feared hell. There's a difference. It's because I'm afraid that at any point of time, if I die in the middle of the night and I don't wake up the next morning and I haven't prayed for those sins and forgiveness for those sins, I'm going to come before Jesus at the gates of heaven and Jesus is going to look at me and say, Dan, you still have those sins on you. I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to come in. You're going to have to go downstairs. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid that when I go to school on the way, I get knocked and run over by a bus and I haven't prayed some of those sins for forgiveness for them and I'm going to end up in hell. So I used to think that confessing my sins is about, I'm sorry, God, forgive me of my sins. But over time, in the Bible, when I understand the Bible, Romans 3, and as well as passages like Psalms 51, I get reminded that confessing my sins isn't just acknowledging my sins, but it's also acknowledging my Savior who has cleaned me of every single sin. When I say, I am a sinner, I'm not just saying I'm a sinner. Confessing my sins is not just I'm a sinner. If that was true, then every other religion is like that. I messed up. I'm not good. I'm a sinner. Confessing my sins is not just saying that, but confessing my sins, a true Christian confession, is saying I am a sinner, but saved by grace, by the power of Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb who died on the cross on my behalf. So now I can come free before God. In Romans 8, it says, now there, therefore there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It says, he who the Son has set free is free indeed in John chapter 8. That's what it means for us to confess our sins. So when we wash up every morning, let what we do in the physical become a reminder of what God has done for us in the spiritual. So when you begin your day, along the way when you mess up and the devil comes along and he says to you, you sinned, you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. Look at what you did. You don't have the strength to overcome it. You're a failure because you continually sin. You said you, 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 you asked for redemption. You asked for forgiveness. But you do it again. And you can look the devil right in the eye and tell him back, you are right. But God, but Jesus is good enough. But Jesus has what it takes. 
But Jesus will not fail. And because of Jesus in your life, so you will make clean. You can stand righteous before God. That's what it means for us to confess our sins. So every new day when you're washing up and you remember your sins and the Savior who has washed it all away, remember that you are cleansed from what has happened before. And there is always enough grace for what comes ahead. That's what it means for us to be washed clean before God. So the morning routine of washing up. And the second routine that we do, after we finish washing up, we go about doing our daily things. And today, now you find yourself in church. After service, after this particular sermon and we close, what's going to happen? You're going to go out there and you're probably going to meet your mates or you're going to meet your wife or your husband, your kids, and you're going to go out going to go out and start eating. And you might be already thinking about the noodles, the bakute, the dim sims, the pizzas, the pasta, the chicken rice. You're thinking about all those things. What am I going to have? Maybe some of you are texting in your connect groups. You know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? You're all going to eat. We're all going to eat. And there's a, this routine that we go through every day. We're going to eat, eat, eat. Now what can this routine of eating up teach us? Now the Bible says in Psalm 145, verse 15 to 16, the eyes of all look to you, God, and you give them their, prop, their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. Now the backstory of 145, Psalm 145 is this. It is known as the Psalm of David and David's Psalm of Praise. Now, David wrote a lot of psalms in the book of Psalms, but this is the only psalm where it's titled his psalm of praise. He's written many praise psalms, but this is the psalm of praise. This is the pinnacle of praise for David. This is the epitome. This is the cream of the crop. This is his best song. It is his number one album, the chart topper, if you were to put it that way, of psalms. And in fact, in the Jewish law, in Jewish religious law and theology, the Talmud, the book, that they use to base their religious law and theology on, it actually says that this, this particular psalm is meant to be recited three times every day. And practicing Jews still do this. Every day they will read this as a prayer three times a day. Now that puts it almost on par in terms of importance as another very famous and important Jewish recitation, recitation, which is the Shema that begins like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And this is the most important statement and prayer for all Jewish people. And almost number two is this particular psalm. So what makes this psalm so important that it should be read out three times a day for the people of God? It's, I suggest that this psalm, verse 15 and 16, tells us this about God. It, that God gives us what we need when we need it. When we have a need, who do we go to? If you have an emotional need, you might go to your counselor, you might go to your pastor. If you have a financial need, who do you go to? You might go to your wife, your husband, your banker, or for some of our kinetic kids, your parents. If you have a psychological need, who do you go to? You go to your counselor, your psychologist. When we have all different kinds of needs, we go to different kinds of people. And what the psalmist says here is this. He says, look. When, the word, when he says look, it's looking with expectancy. It's like looking with beady open eyes, expecting something. He says the eyes of all look to you, God. We look to God with expectancy. 
the psalmist is trying to tell us that this is a daily reminder that all that we have and all that we will need ultimately comes from God. That God is a God who gives us what we need when we need it in His proper time. And then he, he goes on to describe God with open hands. And it's actually a word picture of somebody feeding animals. So you know how you go to the zoo in Perth Zoo or other kinds of zoo, wherever you are at, and you see the zookeeper coming, or maybe you pay money to do this. You know, we pay money to do this where you get a bunch of animal feed. You go to the animals and you feed them with open hands. And this is a picture of what it means for God to have open hands. Is somebody who is not giving out small amounts, measured small amounts. I'm going to give you some on Monday. I'm going to give you some on Tuesday. I'm going to skip Wednesday so that you will need me more and then I give you back again on Thursday. No, God is not a God who gives out in small amounts. God is a God who gives up with open hands to satisfy all our desires. Satisfy the desires of every living thing. He can do that because He is God and that's who He is. And this reminds us a little bit of our cultures. Different cultures actually do this. Now what do you do when you invite a visitor over to your family, to your home? You'll cook up a storm, right? You, you, you have a lot of food, you have a lot of drinks, you, you make sure that, you know, your, your visitors will come to your house skinny, but then they will leave like Santa Claus, they'll be like super full. And that's one of the reasons why I like to go to my connect group on Friday nights. Because every time when I go there, I can go with an empty stomach, but when I leave, man, I feel like I just put on five pounds. That's what I feel, you know. Shout out to my Connect group. Thank you very much for feeding me all the time. And by the way, if you don't have a Connect group, you can sign up for a Connect group uh, at the Connect lounge, at the auditorium, as well as at the city campus. And some of us might go there and when you, uh, I want to join a Connect group. Yeah, which, uh, tell me about what yourself, and then you fill up this form. I want to join... Pastor Dan's Connect Group. Because <laughs> I get fed on Friday nights. That's what I do when I come to Connect Groups. James chapter 1 verse 19 says this. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every gift comes from God ultimately. You can go to your doctors, we can go to our pastors, we can go to our leaders, we can go to our spouses, we can go to our parents. That's okay. But ultimately, the eyes that we look at is not upon them, but upon God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God who does not change like shifting shadows. Today, Monday, I love you. Tuesday, I don't love you. Wednesday, I say I have patience. And Friday, I am angry at you. God doesn't change. And if the Bible says that God is somebody who will feed us with open hands, He is always going to be open to us. That's who our Father is. That's who He is. So God is a God who gives us what we need when we need it. And may I say this also. God is not a God who gives us what we want when we want it. That's the difference. He gives us what we need when we need it. Because He's God. He knows. He's a heavenly Father. So how can this act of eating up, when you eat your lunch, when you eat your dinner in the afternoon, how can this act of eating up help us to live out our faith at home? I want to suggest that eating up reminds us to cherish God's provision, what He's given to us. Now in our Christian faith, we, whenever we eat meals, we will 
a lot of us will say grace. Isn't that true? We'll pray and say, God, thank you. So let me quickly talk about that. What is the purpose of saying grace? When I was a young teenager and I was in youth ministry, I remember my youth pastor always liked to pick me out to say grace. So there were many times, for example, when we're eating fried chicken in KFC and then we'll all be in a table and he'll say, Dan, would you like to say grace for us? And I would say, yeah, sure, I would love to. So, okay, come everybody, put your hands together. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Grace, let's eat. Say grace, I just said it. But that's not what grace is. Grace is not about just saying grace. Grace is not about even honoring the sisters among us called grace, as wonderful as they are. It's not even about saying, God bless this food. Many of us pray this way, isn't it? God bless this food. But what's there to bless? The food is dead. Unless you're eating the live octopus in South Korea, you know. God bless this octopus as it goes down, it goes down to the right places. God bless this food. No, it's not about the food. It's not even about God bless our bodies. It's about God bless you. Bless you, God, for giving me what I need that is in front of me. When we say grace, we say, God, thank you. God bless you. We love you and we are appreciated for what you have given us. And on days where you have food in front of you at the table, we can say, God, I thank you for giving me what I have. I thank you, God, for what I have. And on days where you don't have enough, be it food, be it emotional strength, be it savings in your bank account, be it enough psychological, emotional strength to get on for the next day, you can pray this prayer. God, I trust you for what I need. Because God is a God who gives us what we need when we need it. And do you know that you can pray both kinds of prayers? It's actually okay. It's not like in the Christian faith, we always have to declare, God, I thank you, I have enough. I thank you for the food, even when I have no food, when I have no money. I pray God in Jesus' name, I declare that He's my financial provider. You don't have to pray those kind of prayers all the, all the time. It's okay to pray, God, I thank you for what I have, and I trust you for what I need. Jesus prayed both kinds of prayers. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, when he was having his last supper with his disciples, the Bible says that he took bread, he broke it, he lifted it up, and he gave thanks. Thank you, Father, for the bread in my hand. And on another occasion in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was teaching the hundreds of people who were listening to him how to pray. And how did Jesus pray? Father, give us today our daily bread. Because these people, the majority of them didn't have enough to eat. So he taught them to pray like this. Father, give us today our daily bread. Because we don't have it now yet. If Jesus could pray both kinds of prayers, we can pray both kinds of prayers. God, I thank you for what I have. And God, I trust you for what I need. As followers of Jesus Christ, we can pray both kinds of prayer with the same confidence as Jesus Christ. Why? Because God our Father is a God who gives us what we need when we need it. So when we eat up, we remember our God. We remember who He is and the fact that He is kind and generous to us. So now that we talk about the morning routine of washing up, we talk about the afternoon routine of eating up. Let's talk about the night routine. At night, all of us have a routine where we will change into our pajamas. 
We might, some of us might drink a cup of warm milk. Some of us might make a prayer. Some of us might wash the makeup of our face. Or if you choose not to wash the makeup of your face, then you can wear it for the next day. So you're, in the middle of the night when your husband turns to you, you look as beautiful as you do during the day. Whatever your night routine is, we're all going to go into bed and we're all going to sleep. What does Psalm tell us about sleeping? Psalm 63 verse 68 says this. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Here's the backstory of this particular psalm. It's actually reflecting one of the incidents of David in a time when he was running away. If you read the title of that psalm, it says, David in the wilderness or David in the deserts of Judah. In 2 Samuel, verses 15 to 17, King Absalom, Absalom, who was King, Ju- King David's oldest son, forcefully took over the throne and tried to kill his father. So David and his family and all his supporters ran out of the palace into the desert where they were running and fleeing for their lives. And this psalm is attributed to King David when he was in the desert. He wasn't in the palace. He wasn't in a place where he was comfortable. He was in the desert. He was running for his life. So what does this psalm tell us about God? I want to suggest that it tells us God helps us through the day. You see, the psalmist says this, you are my help. Your right hand upholds me. And here's something interesting that you cannot read in the English, but you can read in the Hebrew. In Hebrew, the verb is actually a perfect tense, which means to say it is past action. It has already happened before. But the thing about Hebrew perfect tense, it it can mean the past, something that has happened before, as well as prophetically the future. I say it again, it, it tells us an action that has happened in the past and will happen prophetically in the future. So the psalmist chooses the perfect tense to say these words, you are my help, your right hand upholds me. And it's okay to translate it both ways in the past and into the future. So in the King James Version, for, for instance, or the ESV, they would say, your right hand has helped me. Your right hand upholdeth me. Because both ways are correct. What the psalmist seems to be telling us here is this. He's looking back in the past as saying, God, you have been my help. And God, you will continue to be my help. God, your right hand has upheld me and supported me. And you will continue to support me. Why can he say that? Because he knows his God doesn't change. His God who has helped him before is the same God who will be for him, who will be there for him in the future. So what he's doing is he's recounting how God has helped him and he's counting on God to continue helping him. That's why he can say this, I remember God. The psalm begins with this, on my bed, I remember what you have done. And literally what that means is I name you. I mention you. God, you have done this for me today. God, you have helped me with my food and now I have enough. God, I thank you for helping me with this conversation with my colleague because now we're at a better place. God, I want to, I, I didn't do this very well and I'm going to need your help. He's naming God for all the things that has happened before. I remember. And then he says this, 
I sing for joy. I sing in the shadow of your wings. What this literally means is I shout for joy. Now, he's not in the palace. He's facing the desert, death and defeat. But yet he can say, I sing for joy. I shout for joy. It's not, I raise a hallelujah. He's not whispering. He's, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. He's shouting for joy on his bed. Why can he do so? It's because he knows his God is a God who will help him. So how do we turn our worries into worship? How do we turn our sighing into singing? How do we turn from hiya people into hallelujah people? How do we do that? This is what the psalmist says. He says, I cling to you, God. Literally what that means is I follow closely behind you, zero distance between me and you, God. I'm sticking to you right behind you. I cling, I follow closely to you. And it reminds me a little bit of a toddler hiding behind mom and dad when he or she is afraid, when he or she has stranger danger, there's somebody in front of him or her that he or she is not sure about. There is a situation that seems to be dangerous. There's something that's ahead that they're not too, uh, they're not too sure about, they're fearful and anxious about. So the psalmist uses the word here, I cling to you, God. I, I'm right behind you. I hide behind you, God. He can shout for joy because he's holding on to God. In the same way when we hold on to God, you can count on God to hold on to you. And you can sing and shout for joy even when you are on your bed worried about tomorrow. That's what God does for us. This is interesting. In 2017 and 2018, there was a a bunch of U.S. researchers who did some research on sleep. And what they found was that those who feel that they have a secure relationship with God, or in other words for us, to have faith in God, they tend to sleep longer. They tend to fall asleep faster. And they tend to feel more rested in the morning. Believers of Christ who have a secure relationship with God tend to sleep longer, fall asleep faster in the night, and feel more rested in the morning. Is that a surprise for us? Should that be a surprise? Like King David in Psalm 63, the follower of Jesus Christ can rejoice and sleep well because they can genuinely say, I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And that's why we as believers of Christ, we can lie on our beds in the middle of the night and count on our God because our God is a God who will help us through each day. So how can this act of going to bed and resting up help us to live out our faith? I want to suggest that when we rest up, when we prepare for bed, we are reminded to commit each day to God. Commit each day to God. So if it is already within your practice to pray when you sleep, continue to do so. As an individual or as a family, round up the family and name God. God, we thank you for all the stuff that you've done for us. And we pray for tomorrow because we know that you're still going to be there to help us. That's what we do before we sleep. Maybe some of us are asking, Pastor Dan, how do I pray? What do I pray? Simple. Remember God for today's blessings and commit tomorrow's 
worries into His hands. What is it that keeps you awake at night nowadays? What is it that prevents you from falling back asleep in the morning? You can commit them to God, says the psalmist. And I close with this, with a story of a family that experienced God's giving. That God is a God who gives us what we need when we need. And they also experienced that God is a God who will help them through each day. I came to hear this testimony only this week and I felt so privileged that I must share this with you. It's a story about the Chu family, Thomas Chu and Auntie Julie. Many of us would have heard their stories, but it's never been shared to the whole church. So the Chu family came to Perth in 2003, family of five, moved from Singapore to Perth. And they were really hoping to get a, a, a business PR. So what they did was they entered into a business venture with a business partner, and they put in all the money that they had left into this business as capital. But because of some unethical business management on the part of their business partner, they lost all their money. Stranded in Perth with no money, a family of five with young kids. And so the family became almost broke and they had no money. They were trying to live and make ends meet. They lived on credit at one stage. They used the credit card for paying every single thing as much as they could and paid a minimum for each month so that they can roll the credit to the next month. And then Thomas, the father, had to do all kinds of odd jobs. Now, he was a very successful person in Singapore, but when he came here, he had to do all kinds of odd jobs like a kitchen cleaner at night, cleaning the grease off the desk, wiping and mopping the floor in the middle of the night for a measly $30 a day. And he was working with his youngest at that time, 10-year-old Sam. They were working together as kitchen cleaners. And then uh, Thomas would also become a newspaper delivery boy over the weekends, tossing and delivering the newspapers, trying to make ends meet. And at one point, he hit rock bottom. He know he hit rock bottom when this happened. In the cafe that he worked at, he would finish late at night and he realized that there was a donut shop next to the shop, next to the cafe. So one day he went up to the donut shop and he said, hey, I noticed that you guys throw out all your unsold donuts at night. Can I have all of them, please? And the donut person basically said, no, sorry, sir, we can't do that because it is against food safety regulations. And so what he did was he, he realized that they would bind up all these unsold donuts in a black trash bag, bring them to the back alley, and toss them into the big metal garbage uh, bin. And every night when he finishes cleaning up at the kitchen, he would climb into the metal bin because his arms wasn't long enough to reach it. He would climb inside, find the right bin, find the right bag. This is the one with the donuts. He's going to hand, and then he hands the bag over to Sam, 10-year-old Sam, to bring home, hoping that the kids would have something nice to eat for the next day, at least. Otherwise, they'll be eating leftovers from the cafe. And this happened for almost a year, for a long time. So what the Chu family did was every Sunday when they came to FCC, you will always almost find them at the front of the stage after service because they come as a family to pray and say, God, could you please help us through this situation? Help us with our finances. Help us to, to, to work through these difficult times. They will always almost be here. And every night, Thomas and Julie, his wife, would pray to God every night. In Thomas's words, he says, Pastor, the word is not prayer. The past Pastor, the word is plead. We will plead with God. God, can you help us? God, can you 
Help us through this day. We don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. God, we claim your promise that you, you're a faithful God, that you have a purpose for us being here. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God, you brought us here for a reason. And I believe that, God. They will plead every night. And they struggle through each day because they don't know what the next day is going to look like. But they continue to trust God. And through this whole hard time, it was very difficult for them. But God will miraculously still help them through, providing what they need when they need it. Sometimes it's the exact amount of money that they need. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it is a car. God will give them what they need through the brothers and sisters around them. And long story short, they ultimately received their PR. And that's when God turned things around for them. And, and, they, and now they, they told me to say this, that it's really important that God has restored them many times what they have lost in those years, 15 years later today. And during those times, they saw and experienced what God was like, that God is faithful to give what they need when they need it. And they saw the faithfulness of God, that God helps them through every single day. And today is my joy and my privilege to tell you that the entire Chu family is still in FCC. And they're all serving faithfully as key leaders and pastoral staff on staff in FCC because of what God has brought them through. They are now giving back to the people and loving God's people, leading our children, leading our connect groups, doing holy grounds on the outside, leading our adults because they have experienced what God is like. Praise God. Praise God. God is a God who cleanses us and washes us from every sin. God is a God who gives us what we need when we need it. God is a God who can help us through every day. And in the words of Thomas, he told me this. He says, Pastor, only God can do this. Only God can do this. Would you just stand where you are right now? Now, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know where you are at. I don't know what is it that you need from God. But I believe God has spoken to some of us and he's tucked in our hearts. And he's telling us and reminding us the truth of who he is. And however that might look like for you to respond to God, I want you to take a moment. And as all our heads are bowed and every eyes are closed, I want to pray. I want to make two prayers. The first prayer is for people who have yet to know Jesus, who have yet to have a secure relationship with God. Whether you've made a prayer but you're not sure or whether you've never prayed to receive Christ in your life, I want to lead you through this prayer. Just like how the morning routine begins with the washing of our face. Your new life in Jesus Christ, your new hope in Jesus Christ begins with the washing and the cleansing of your sins by asking Jesus into your life. And I ask you to pray with me in this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I don't have what it takes. I recognize that you are God. I recognize that you died for me. And your love covers over me. I receive you as my Lord and Savior that my sins will be washed away. Teach me what that means in the coming days and weeks of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And now I get to live right with you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. And if you have made that prayer, I encourage you to go to FCC.live and let us know on the Connect tab. I made that prayer so that we can follow up with you. If you're in one of our venues, in the auditorium or in the city campus, come on to the front. And we'd love to tell you more about the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, would you just bow our heads as we pray in close. God, we want to thank you that you are a God who washes our sins. We want to thank you that you are a God who gives us what we need when we need it. We want to thank you that you are a God who helps us through each and every day of our lives. Of all our needs, we lay before you right now, God, and I pray that wherever we are at, may you just meet us in our places of need. If it be emotional strength, if it be financial, if it may be psychological mental strength, if it may be relationship wholeness and healing, if it may be healing in our bodies, whatever we need, we lay before you. Say, God, God, you are a God that works miracles and we trust in you. Help us, God. And for those of us who are struggling and surviving day on day, not knowing what tomorrow is going to be like, I pray, God, that you would just meet us where we are. Give us the strength every night to live on for you. However tough that might be, we know that, God, you're still with us. As the psalmist says, we cling to you. Our hope is in you. And we pray, God, that you would just walk with us over the next one week as we remember who you are in our lives and live out our faith at home. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen.